This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 157. This week, digital editor Alex chats to Alex Healy Hutchinson of 26 Grains about how she went from porridge pop-up to bricks and mortar cafe and restaurant. She shares her secrets to developing a thriving food business and how to juggle that with writing a great cookbook. Hello, it's Alex here, and I'm in a lovely little pocket of Covent Garden, Neil's Yard, chatting to Alex Healy Hutchinson at her Porridge and Grains restaurant, 26 Grains. Uh, so hello, Alex. Hello. Um, we're going to chat about how Alex went from Porridge Pop-Up to Bricks and Mortar Cafe to Evening Restaurant and writing a cookbook along the way, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That sounds like a lot. So it all started with Porridge. Yes. Yes. How did it start? So it started with porridge because um, a number of reasons. So I spent a year in Copenhagen while I was studying. And while I was there, I suddenly realized that the only sustenance that you can have when you're getting on your bike every single day, because your bike is like your oyster card, that's how you get around. You just get on your bike, um, was to have a full belly of oats and porridge or barley or whatever they used for the porridge. And I completely fell in love with this rhythm of the day and Mm. having that brought back into my life because it was something that I did every day when I was younger when I grew up my mum would make these huge pots of porridge and as you went down in the morning you'd help yourself to that so it started with both like a necessity but also this nostalgia for something that I had when I was younger it's very like Hugo isn't it you know in Copenhagen in Denmark there's this um it was a bit of a buzzword a couple of yeah, years yeah, ago yeah. wasn't it? It was the f- I, I hadn't known Huga until I got to Copenhagen and 
still I don't to this day fully understand no. it because <laughs> everybody likes to have everybody has a different version of what that yeah. is and so they'll be like it's having your family around and actually we do do one hygge thing from Denmark which is always have candles in the daytime so that's something we just like that um, and yeah I mean it's all about for me hygge was sort of ritual and just taking time for yourself so mm-hmm. they are very good at sort of making time for um life outside of work, um, mornings, meals, um, foraging, everything like that. So I wanted to bring a little bit of that back to London. And really, it was my first entry point into food. And I just knew that I could cook porridge. Mm -hmm. And so as a sort of between jobs, I just left my job and I just thought, oh, I'll set up a market stall just serving porridge. And it got this amazing response. Everybody had a story about it. So it, sometimes it wasn't good. Sometimes it was like, I hate it because my granny used to make me eat it. And then other times it was like, oh, my grandpa my grandpa or my dad used to take me to the seaside and we'd pour this thick cream from Cornwall on it and like a sprinkling of salt. Oh, so it was just lovely to like hear these stories. Yeah. And then it was a nice basis for something so simple that could be done so well. So that was a market store before your Old Street pop-up? No, so that was the Old oh, that Street pop-up. that was the Old Street pop-up. And why did you call it 26 grains? I get the grains part, but why 26? Um, 26 was a... Well, it's a number. It's a number that I didn't realize it was like I wanted something personal to be in the name, and it's houses I've lived in, and just a number that I've had. You've lived in twenty-six houses. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, number twenty-six is the name. Okay. Oh my god! I was gonna say you've moved around a lot. House a year. <laughs> I wish. Um, but no. So it was just a number that you know I lived in houses or like you know um, halls that I did my lectures in and stuff like that. So it was just a number I had. There aren't like 26 grains available. I think there are either a lot fewer if you start just thinking basically in terms of like oats, wheat, barley. But then if you think about the variations of them, I think there could be hundreds. So there's just a number. (laughs) So um, how did your time in Copenhagen like prepare you to open a food business? Do they do anything in certain ways? Because the only porridge place that I've ever heard of is Grot, been yeah. to his grud yeah. in is she gonna pronounce it like that grud. I think it's actually grud. 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 oh yeah well, it sounds like gruel actually yeah. which is amazing because um, there's so many in Copenhagen there's so many small businesses yeah. like doing amazing things did that did you get inspiration from people out there I or? think the most inspiring thing about running a business out there it was was it didn't feel like it had to be mass growth like there was no credibility in terms of chains like there were no chains and yeah. I mean people do now have a few restaurants but they specialize in different things and they have different processes but actually that you could build a business based on a few core values and it could be successful whereas like the model in London otherwise had sort of been like your big chains um, serving a very like quick process or quick market and so actually something that could credit or a business that could succeed if it took a little bit more time about what the concept was and who their audience was for example yeah that's really nice again it's that uh, the Scandies are so good at that just like taking time to do things really investing in it and yeah not having to make a ton of money straight away because as we all know like having your own business like you just don't go in for that Well, I don't know. I don't have my own business, I wish. No, but I mean, even when we studied at university, a lot of the uh, students were 22 to 28. Just there is a lot of 
um, there's a culture of just making the time to do the best job that you can do. So that's a really nice lesson. Well, I'd definitely say you've been very successful because we're currently sitting in your yeah. uh, bricks and mortar spot, which we'll talk about a bit more about later. But um, what did you learn from your time having your pop-up in Old Street? Like, how would you say, if someone wanted to open a pop-up food business yeah what are your what's your advice for them my advice would be um i really underestimated how much of how or rather how little food actually mattered in terms of obviously it's really important to serve source um develop a really good food concept but i'd say that's probably about 30 percent of the 25 to 30 percent of actually what it is it's about the culture you create among your team it's about um, the music you play it's about how you present yourselves so there's so much I suddenly learned like the whole food business uh, the business of hospitality and service and look and feel and sort of ultimately creating an image for yourself so that your food is then received to the yeah. right audience so it's creating a brand isn't it like yeah. in in the this um, restaurant now it's just it's not just about yeah. the porridge and the food it's about the little candles and like you've got a lovely open kitchen everyone's yeah. been popping in and out it's lovely environment so yeah so important which is you don't realize you're building it but you sort of make these small decisions along the way and then it becomes your business and it's so often like even like the mugs that we serve it's mm. all earthenware and it's meant to resemble the fact that a lot of the grains that we use here come from the land and it's like the earth and that's <laughs> And so what gives you inspiration for your porridge toppings that like when you were, because how many porridge types did you have when you had your pop-up? Oh, I were think you just churning them four, out or like, just four and, and they well, weren't changing. Also, you know, actually, I think it's better to do fewer yeah. really, really well and develop those. So um, mostly led by um, what's available through our suppliers. We, we work really closely with our suppliers and they'll say, oh, gooseberries are really good at the moment mm. or... Um, don't go near the raspberries, then they're not coming till much later, for example. Or no, normally that's with figs or something like that. But it's so often just led by um, what, they, what they're seeing and who they're working with and the taste that they first have with those suppliers. So, yeah, we're so led by that. And it, someone will be like, you just have to start using peaches this week because they're just insane. And What's so the we'll best thing you've done with a peach? Best thing you've done with a peach? I mean, nothing. In fact. <laughs> God, yeah. Um... I would probably just slow roast them, but you just eat it when it's ripe. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Yeah. To be fair, there's there's like, nothing like that, is there? Yeah. Like just eating something fresh, yeah. like freshly picked. Or sometimes like with a nice like sharp hard cheese or something like that. But just I think that's the thing is when you have such good quality ingredients, and that's something they did in Copenhagen as lot a lot. As it's the simplicity of just hearing it, or just a really good olive oil and a salt mm. or something like that. And it's just like a zing that you get with this beautiful delicious food um so it's probably like asking like which is your favorite child but what's the favorite porridge you've ever made like topping yeah i um, had i it's the first one that's in my cookbook and it's the one that's always been on the menu and it's the one i probably go to most mornings which is um it's called the hazelnut butter which mm. is um a little knob of butter which is very like scandy they put butter on everything so a little knob of butter, some cinnamon, some brown sugar. It then sort of melts to a caramel on top Ooh. and then a little bit of milk and some hazelnuts. Mm. Simple. It's like a little moat of yeah. like mm, <laughs> yummy. Um, so you managed to 
transform your pop-up to a little... Well, it wasn't quite bricks and mortar. Yeah, it was it? sort of half-half. <laughs> it didn't have a shop You really front, have progressed. Like in a You've shed. just got to, yeah. yeah. So um, how did you do that? How did you go from pop-up to, like, full, you know, kind of permanent, permanent site? site? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think what we did was we sort of said yes to everything so after the old street site we did events anywhere that anyone asked us we even if it didn't really make sense or it was for five people or we opened our doors and we invited people in um and as a result of that you just meet so many people who want you to do well especially because they see how much you love what you're doing and you and you you have a sense of where you'd like to go but these people can help you define that and uh, make it happen and um, we met some property finders who said oh we'll introduce you to some agents and we then met our current landlord and they said you know you're a small business and you have no viable credit or um, any guarantors and your concept's not fully proven in terms of a bricks and water site but we'll give you the shed oh so how kind <laughs> and we'll charge you London full London central London rent okay um, so we were like yes but honestly, they came to you it was sort of a mix of okay. like because we met some property finders they right, introduced yeah. us and then there wasn't really anything that we could afford at the time and they said well why don't we do a year-long pop-up and you can test the concept so we tested the concept and it was heaven and we we just tried so hard we just marketed it as much as we could we invited everyone we knew down we were quite relatively savvy about how much money we spent on the site because temptation with growing a business is that or restaurants there's a lot of upfront costs mm. you've got bill designers equipment coffee machines which alone are sort of ten thousand pounds gosh so yeah. um you just have to get thrifty and like you're like, oh, did you buy, build a bar once? Okay, you can build us a bar. Um, <laughs> all my brothers, I'm one of five, so I had a lot wow. of free labor okay. at the beginning. Great. So that was, <laughs> that was very helpful. Four brothers. I'm one of five, and I've got two brothers and two sisters. Wow. Okay. So they all came in and they did their fair share. They refuse to work now because they're like, you don't pay us enough. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how that started. So and a lot of hard work. Oh, my God, a lot of hard And also, I was relatively inexperienced, so a lot of learning on the job, both in terms of, you know, like HR, hiring, suppliers, like where do you even begin? Like if you don't know, who do you call? And um, a lot of questions are asked. And actually the food industry is incredibly generous in terms of information. Like, you know, every time now we have a question, we can ask someone about it and they'll be very transparent and amazing with it. I love that about um, the food industry. That's why I got into it because everybody wants to share is so kind yeah. everyone's got their little niche so it's yeah. not too competitive and it's quite it's a very creative industry so no no two people are thinking exactly the same so how you use that information whether it be a financial tip um a supplier or even a recipe it will be mm. delivered in a completely different way so i think enough people realize that and then i think also enough people realize how hard it is and how much it's all consuming, um, which is what I love about it. But equally, um, it's difficult to get out of like a work headspace because there's always more you can do. Um, so, yeah, to have people who can help. Is and who, really... who inspires you in the industry, like in your, even in your neighborhood or in London? or I mean, London is incredible. It, is it really is. And even in the time that we've been open, but particularly in the past, I'm endlessly inspired by how creative people are what people can do with like for like ingredients um i love like home cooked casual dining food so i like to basically 
feel like I've gone into someone's kitchen and they've just done something really clever because mm-hmm. that's also the way that I get a lot of inspiration is going to friends' houses and they'll be like, oh, I've um, poached this chicken today. And I'm like, okay. And I love find, discovering like that. So places like I'm always, I love duck soup and I all those that. guys. And yeah. just because you feel like you can go time and time again. Um, where else do I go? I love Topath. I love lots of Japanese restaurants, even though I'm not very good Japanese. I, we have, um, I went to Japan and I bought a rice maker and I make oh. time and time again the best rice because of this rice maker. But um, yeah, I just, there's so many places like I'm blown away by and just the creativity or, and also just the simplicity. You're just like, oh, I've nailed it. Stay tuned to find out more from Alex, including how to write a successful cookbook. So yeah, you you really um, have nailed that. I think in the evening menu that you've just yeah. launched, um, we actually have some recipes in uh, the new issue of Olive. Um, and so, because it's such a it's a small, very cozy space, you do almost feel like you're in someone's yeah. you know, kitchen. Um, and but you have done something quite uh, brave okay. in that you have you're only having. One starter, one main, and one dessert, aren't you? So we evening? have four ice creams, which we choose, okay. which you can choose from. So we only one crazy. dessert. Yeah. So, so uh, sorry, one main. So because people are so fussy these mm. days with their food yeah. and like what they like and what they can and can't yeah. eat, is are you does. Do you find that people are quite fussy or yeah, yeah, do they come in and no. say, oh, sorry, I can't eat that and then leave? Occasionally, <laughs> but because we make everything here, like we make all the pasta and we make all the sauces and the chefs are like, if someone's just like, oh, I can't eat today's dinner, we'll be like, okay, what do you want? Okay. <laughs> we'll just cook it for you. Um, okay. So you'll just be, so for example, we had someone last night who couldn't eat pork and um we, we have an arabiata as a as a veggie option and she was also didn't like she couldn't eat chili so we just made her cacio e pepe and it's you oh, know you've lovely. it's simple and yeah. also because it is pasta you can just like make something up on the spot which would be really delicious and we've got delicious parmesan um and pecorino and black pepper and like whatever you want even yeah, though it's, it's all in, about the ingredients yeah. isn't it so you could just but whip think, something up yeah and ultimately the decision was that we could have tried to have done an a la carte menu but I would have I just know that we wouldn't have had enough prep time not enough space like we have to get a second delivery to get any of the stock for the evening anyway just because there are only five doors of fridge under counter fridge here and equally um so we just thought we just focused on a few things that we could do really well rather than trying to meet the market and I think sometimes in food a bit like if you're cooking for your friends you just have to trust your instinct and just cook the food that you want to eat so it was a conversation that we had as a team which is like quite often our team will go home and have something either really light and fresh which is sort of replicated in the starter or a big bowl of pasta um, because it's easy accessible you could use whatever the seasonal ingredients is and um, it didn't have to take too long so we were just like okay that's nice yeah and actually the feedback that we've got is a lot of people are like oh thank god I don't have to choose <laughs> yeah particularly if you're out with friends all you really want to do is have a good glass of wine and a yeah. good chat and they're like yes food bring <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is, nice. yeah it's, it's brave but it is very savvy as well because yeah. of the ingredients you're using yeah. and yeah as it's such a small space have you found there's been anything going from daytime because it's daytime cafe yeah. wasn't it um, even though you did proper lunches yeah. and things but going to 
turning into an evening yeah. space is quite a different, sh quite a shift in yeah, and um, service. And definitely. Everything. So we we talked about that as a team as well. So we were like, what do you really value when you do go out to eat? But equally, I think ultimately, we our main business has been sort of breakfast and lunch. And so to be like white tablecloths and um, amazing, so, I mean, we have a lovely um, front of house team in the evening, so it's slightly switches, like the front of house come to the other side of the bar and it's table service. Okay. So that's slightly different. And we have um, uh, menu card, sort of placemats, which are menu cards, so they lay at the table. But the, the menu goes, if it's a vegetarian option for two courses, it's 18 pounds. And for, if it's a meat option, it's 20 pounds. So we're not really trying to be no. your full blown evening thing. We just have this amazing opportunity in this beautiful location to open our doors in the evening so we just thought simple menu accessible prices you only sit for about like 45 minutes an hour you can stay for longer if you like but the service isn't super long you're not going to be here for three hours so I think we were just conscious that we wouldn't be able to do that transition but equally we were capable of serving something that people could quickly grab and go in the yeah. evening well it's amazing dishes so the ones that you have written for Olive um include crab pappardelle with arrabbiata. Yeah, so it's sort of spicy crab sauce. Mm, yeah. And then a green bean, orange and tapenade salad, which is yeah. so interesting, so vibrant, so much colour in yeah. the recipe. I was like, wow. Yeah, because <laughs> like orange and olive, like all those Provencal um, flavours, really nice, anchovies and thyme. Yeah, so it's all like super, super seasonal, yeah. uh, which is really lovely. And like, you're making the most of um, the ingredients that we have. Yeah. And, as Brexit looms, obviously we're going to have to take yeah take that be more creative yeah. with that yeah. Taking all this into account, all the seasonality, etc., you have managed to do everything you've done yeah, and write a cookbook yeah. at the same time, which baffles me because I know people who've written books yeah, and they are literally like it literally takes over your whole life. It does take over your whole life. So how did you manage to run this business, write a cookbook, and like have alive i mean <laughs> what did you not i was quite stressed i was quite stressed out my yeah my poor boyfriend was so supportive because apparently i even woke up i was not sleep talking but um he woke up at the night with me stirring because i thought i was at work stirring another what, bowl in of the in the, on the on the bed <laughs> just stirring like this my arm so just like all night all the, every moment of the day ticking 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 oh my god um, but I mean it's really hard but I mean the, one thing I can say about a cookbook is that when you write your first cookbook and we, we chose a relatively easy structure which was breakfast, lunch and dinner you just cook all the food that you've ever cooked before and everything that your friends have cooked together and equally it just provided a platform for me to be like okay I'm going to test this recipe now I'm going to put this recipe into the, into the shop so yeah. it sort of did go hand in hand so everything that we were developing for the shop we also put in the book um but there were so many recipes in there that I'd either been taught by friends or um, my mum used to cook us or just like everything you'd ever dreamt of. So that was quite easy. The most difficult part was those introductions are lethal. Are the introductions for oh, right, the, in the intro? Because yeah. you'll you'll write like you'll write a recipe for um, Brussels sprouts or something. And you'll be like, not, not that I had millions of Brussels sprouts recipes, but you'll pour your heart and soul into that Brussels sprout intro. And then you suddenly come across another one of your Brussels sprout recipes and you're like, oh God, I said everything Start in the again. last thing. <laughs> so how great can these Brussels sprouts be? But actually um, with writing going forward, I've started doing it quite like anecdotally to why those recipes even came into my head. Cause mm -hmm. so often like we had, um, 
I wrote a recipe for a pizza dough recipe because um, this uh, delivery man came into Neil's yard and he was saying, oh, I can't wait for Valentine's Day. And he sort of, and then we were talking about what his Valentine's Day plans were. And I'd said, oh, I'd just love to have like a pizza and like a margarita pizza and a margarita cocktail. And that would be perfect. And so then I wrote the recipe like based on the interaction with that delivery man. So that's quite a nice way to write it. It's a lovely like diary for you as well. Exactly. And then because of that, you just like naturally someone will be like, oh my God, these are the biggest asparagus I've ever seen. And then you write an asparagus recipe. (laughs) Yeah. And what, um, so if you had to give three, like a few tips yeah. to someone who is going to write a cookbook, oh, yeah. what would that be? Like any little, like really niche things that you wouldn't ever th- think that you'd have to do? Um, I mean, just test it, test it, like, and get everyone else to test it. So send those recipes out to everyone because everybody has a slightly different size garlic or, you know, the olive oils or even the salt that they use is also different. So then get a sense of like how this would fall into different people's kitchens. Um, I think also write the recipes that you want to write. Um, you know, you can quite often, you want to sort of think about your readers and think about how they might use the book but actually if you think about that too much you might find um, you're writing something which is like faddy for that moment yeah. and actually it takes a while for a cookbook to come out so from it takes about eight nine months after you've published or after you've submitted all the recipes for them to all come out wow, you've like shot okay. them all and then you're just doing the editing and just like is it a medium egg is it a large egg that's what you do for ages um, but the most yeah, I think so. Your foods can feel quite dated quite quickly. So just do the food, and also something I wish I had done a little bit more with this first one is like really consider the structure. And so because you can, if you've got a really strong structure, um, and you understand how people can use it, you can almost write every any recipe you want because people it, there's a sense of occasion and purpose to every recipe that you do. So take I would say firstly take time to do the structure. I watched um, Simon Nazareth. I. I've said her name wrong. Who did Salt Acid Fat Oh, yes. I've been watching that recently. Um, and she amazing. said that um, that she, it took her, I think she said like three, four years just to come up with the structure. Wow. And then the recipe's 20, like 10 days or something. God, so it just for like fo- follows. Does yeah, because you want it to make sense. And also the t- trouble with cookbooks is now, it's like anyone can, if they're craving something, they can look it up in a second. It's all online or featured in magazines and things mm. like that so actually you just have to create a sense of like why do I need to have this cookbook yeah. and what's it going to teach me yeah because I often find that uh, with the cookbooks I have at home it is the the joy I get from them is those little anecdotes oh and God. learning about like Ottolenghi's books yeah. I love them because I do cook from them occasionally but it's more learning about this really niche ingredient yeah. or a city in like or, yeah in the it's Middle East it's yeah. amazing I was reading a so I think it was a Jane Grigson book and it was a chapter it was the vegetables one and it was on Jerusalem artichokes and how the name like the etymology of the name Jerusalem artichoke came about and it's actually what is it <laughs> it's actually a, it's it's an, like an artichoke that it flowers and um but the flower is like a girasol flower, like a, a like a sunflower. Yeah. So it follows the sun, and then when so when Jerusalem artichokes first came to England, they were telling their friends that they had these like girasol plants, and all the English were just like, "Give it up, it's Jerusalem." And so that's why wow, they, that's okay. how the name came about. So it's Jerusalem artichoke. 
Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. So I like also those stories and those entries to chapters. She's funny as well. She's like, in that vegetables book, she's like, I don't think anyone's ever told me that beetroot's their favorite vegetable. But anyway, here's a chapter on beetroot. <laughs> so I love that kind That's of stuff. That's so true, actually. Yeah. yeah. And those Poor older beetroot. books. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good, though. Um, so um, what are your plans for that? Because we've talked about how you've gone from pop-up to semi-bricks-and-water to bricks-and-water cafe yeah. and then this amazing dinner service. Yeah. There must be something next. Yeah. I, I'm um, imagining you're not... I, I've heard you're just getting married very oh yeah. soon. So um, that. maybe after the wedding? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're definitely looking at growing. I think... Um, because we started this so heavily as like a daytime cafe and because of the limitation on space here, I told you before, I dream, I have dreams about finding storage. Yeah. Uh, just like walking through a door and being like, oh my God. And also beautiful kitchen studios because the light's so tricky in here. Yeah, we were talking about getting married and um, how everyone has these like wedding dreams. Yeah. And Alex was like, no, I have dreams about storage. Just not about wedding. work. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're looking at, potential new sites exciting growing and just taking everything we've learned so far and sort of honing in on it and elevating it and doing a next the next offer sort of aligned with what we currently do but slightly very similar but it's just a more grown-up version where we can just you know really hone in on that sense of like what the ingredients are and just be really confident with that and also like take everything that you've learned and yeah. take it one step further because yeah. that seems to be what you've done you've learned little things along the way and then you just refine it yeah. more and more and more so it's going to be like a super super <laughs> restaurant yeah oh, well that's the best thing about being sort of a flexible restaurant also with a team who are on board with that because it's a bore sometimes to I come in and I'm like next thing we're going to do and they're like oh yeah God. but never boring <laughs> yeah but a bore well on that note I think we'll have to wrap it up there oh. but uh, thanks so much for chatting to no, us thank it's you for coming down really interesting to hear about like your journey and can't wait to see what's next um, thank you Alex and if anybody wants to check out Alex's recipes on the website they're on olivemagazine.com and also come down to Neil's Yard to 26 Grains for some nice pasta yeah, and nice. seasonal dishes thanks Alex thanks so much bye so that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can still pick up a copy of our June issue on the newsstand now, or go and download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.